Today's scripture reading comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Alex, for reading the scripture so well. Um, happy Easter. It's okay to say happy Easter. Why don't we do this? Let's take a moment, just look around to the people next to you, say happy Easter. It is Easter Sunday. That's why we have friends and family visiting us today as well. We have a lot to do today. Uh, not only are we uh, in our worship talking about Easter, but also uh, we have a couple of infant baptisms and communion. And of course, uh, right after service, as Pastor James just announced, there will be fellowship time uh, in the cafeteria down the hall uh, to my left. So join us for that uh, as much as uh, you're able to, okay? Um, so, you know, Easter, uh, and this is why some of you are here today as, as visitors. We welcome you into our church and our, and, um, and our worship but Easter, is, if you don't already know, is a time where we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and so I want to share from this passage just a few things about what I think uh, that resurrection is. And, and I want us to be a little thoughtful. Uh, let, me, let me ask you a question today and just be honest. Whether you've been coming to church for a very long time or whether you're relatively new to church, uh, the resurrection means that somebody died and then rose from the dead, right? If your non-Christian friend came up to you and asked you, hey, you're a Christian, you go to church, right? Isn't one of the things that you believe is that this person died a long time ago and then he rose from the dead? Do you actually believe this? What would you say? Honestly speaking, in your heart, what would you say? And I think it's sometimes it's good to get us out of the, the church scene for a little bit and put us in the shoes of, of someone who doesn't go to church and hears this message and really think, like, what, how would you respond to this? I mean, it's Easter, and uh, it's not only a holiday, but it's for the church. It's a time where we remember the resurrection. But what would you say? Do you really believe that there's someone who actually died and rose again from the dead? You know, one of the things that I... Uh, one of the reasons that I, I, I tend to be thoughtful in my sermons is, is because even though I'm a pastor, I, I, to, I'll confess, I have doubts. Um, I have real doubts sometimes. I struggle with some things that I learned, that I know in my head, but I wonder if I really believe. And, and I'm going to be very honest. It, it, of all the things to really try and believe, uh, at least for me, one of the things I wonder sometimes is the resurrection right? I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder. And I wonder sometimes about heaven. 
And I wonder sometimes about afterlife. And, and you know, and I believe, but at the same time, I, I kind of wonder, and, and I, I think I have some doubts. You know, they, they said this wisdom, um, in life, you don't have to be good at everything to be successful. But if you could be really good at maybe one thing or two things, you could really live pretty well. And I think Christianity, if, if you're new to Christianity, is to kind of remember this. There are so many things to know, so many things to learn and, and believe and understand. So much truth there. But here's the truth. You don't have to know everything about Christianity to be genuinely Christian. But you do have to understand a few things. And in our passage today, Paul's talking about this. And in verse 3, he gives you those few things. It's very simple. He says in verse 3, I deliver to you of first importance, things he considered importance, and he says, this is what I received, and this is what I'm telling you, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, second, that he was buried, and third, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so here are the few things Paul's telling his readers. Uh, this is the things that I think are of first importance. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day, raised on the third day. And as I read this, even if I read this and put myself out of my pastor's shoes, and I say, you know, I, I get the first two, that Christ died, right? There's a person who died, and, and, he, and the claim is he died for sin. And I get the second one, that he was buried, right, in Joseph of Arimathea, his tomb, a huge tomb with a two-ton boulder or stone to cover it up. I get that. Uh, but if there's anything that would be difficult to swallow for me, it would be the third point, that Jesus rose from the dead. Why? Well, because I've never seen it. I've never seen such a, uh, an event. I haven't heard about anyone raising from the dead. I, don't, I haven't met anyone who rose from the dead. I don't know if you did. And it would be easy for me to tell you today, even as a pastor, well, you know, it, who cares? It, it, it doesn't matter. Two out of three, right? The first two, you know, Jesus died and he, and he rose, uh, you know, he's buried. But the third one, you know, it's kind of iffy, but two out of three isn't bad, okay? So after all, the only reason people did believe back then is because people back then believed it. And people back then believed in all manner of stuff. And back then, they aren't as advanced or as knowledgeable as people today. And so, you know, they probably believed it more. And, and if I told you that, I, I think I would be misleading you. Because when you read Luke chapter 24 and his account of, of the resurrection, there are these two women that he mentions that goes to the tomb in that morning. And they find the empty tomb. And then they go back to the disciples and they tell them about it. Now listen to what verse 10 and 11 says. He says, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and some other women were with them, told these things to the apostles, that Jesus rose from the dead. And then verse 11, he tells us, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that even the apostles didn't believe uh, the women's words, when they said Jesus is not there anymore, his body's missing, and he's risen from the dead, they said, that's fairy tale. It's idle tale, and we don't believe you. 
It's a bit arrogant to assume that just because we're further along in technology and science, that those behind us in history are therefore much more gullible and therefore we are much more enlightened. But the truth is, and even in Jesus' time, uh, although they may have believed a lot of things, the resurrection stuff didn't happen often. It didn't happen. People didn't just rise from the dead every now and then. It, it didn't happen in Jesus' time either. People, even in Jesus' own time, even his own disciples, were skeptical, just as skeptical as anyone else. So if the apostles doubted, then it's understandable that many of us might doubt today too, right? We might have some doubts. And I've got just two points then to, to share with you really quickly, and that is this. First, so why do people still believe in the resurrection? Why do modern people believe in the resurrection today? And second, what difference does it make if you do or not? What difference does it make if you do or not? Okay? Why do people believe today? Well, here, let me just give you a few points here um, to think about. Just to think about if you're wondering about the resurrection. First of all, uh, you know, it's Easter morning, uh, they come to the tomb, uh, the, the stone is rolled away, they look inside, and there's nothing there. There's a missing body. Uh, in our culture, we say this, that to, to say anything is really true, it's got to be publicly verifiable and empirically falsifiable. And so, you're going with a physical body, and it's not there. You're looking for a body. It's verifiable or it's empirically falsifiable. Somebody could have stolen it. Somebody could have taken it away. But here's my point. This is not the way to start a religion. If you thought Christianity was made up and they made all this stuff up, that is the dumbest way to start the religion because it's verifiable. I mean, if you're smart, you would say, look, Jesus rose from the dead spiritually. The Holy Ghost. He's alive. How do you verify that? You can't verify that. You can't prove that or disprove that. And it would be easy to kind of promote that kind of truth. But they deliberately say, there's a body that's missing. What are you going to think about that? Right? Second thing, post-mortem appearances. In our passage, we read this. This is what happens. Now, whether or not you believe Jesus actually rose from the dead, it doesn't change the fact that a lot of people believe that they did. In the first century. In our passage today, look at verses 3 through 8. Um, this is what Paul tells his readers. He says, this is what Jesus did. This is, what he, 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 this is how he died. This is how he was buried. Then he rose on the third day. And then it says there in verse 4 uh, or verse 5, he appeared to, to this guy Cephas named Peter. And then he appeared to these 12 guys. And then look at verse 6. He says, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. And then he appeared to James, and then he appeared to all the apostles, and then last of all, he appeared to me. Right? No, notice what Paul says here. He doesn't say, Jesus just appeared to me. I saw Jesus, and, and this is, he's alive. No, he appeared to, what he says is dozens and even hundreds of people on top of them. And he specifically states in verse 6 that most of these people who saw Jesus are still alive. Now, here's the question. Why do you think he mentions that? Why do you think he mentions that over 500 brothers at one time are still alive and they saw? And I think he's saying this. If you don't believe, go ask. Go ask them. Go ask them. Postmortem appearances, okay? Third thing, the disciples' death. 
let me, let's be honest. If we lived in a culture like there are many times in third world countries, and if you were held at gunpoint by a guy who said, I hate Christians, I don't believe in all that stuff, and I think it's wrong, do you believe it? And they hold you at gunpoint, what would you say? Do you believe in Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Knowing that if you said yes, you could lose your life. What would you say? And I want you to know this. Every apostle, except for the apostle John, died. James got, you know, he, he died with a sword, by the sword. Thomas and Matthew got speared, according to history. Philip, uh, he was tortured and then crucified upside down. According to Jewish historians, Bartholomew was skinned alive and then crucified upside down. Andrew, James, Thaddeus, Simon, all of them who followed Jesus, crucified. And I want you to think about this because here, it's really hard to die for something you know deep down is not real. It would be really hard to, to, to give your life for something that you might have thought somebody just made up or even if you had some doubt. And yet all of these guys follow the same route. So either they were all crazy, out of their minds, or what happened was really real, and they really believed it. And this is crazy, because the idea of worshiping a man as God, the idea of worshiping anyone as God is ridiculous. It was heretical in that time, and the fact that this guy dies like a criminal on a cross is nonsense. Hardly anyone would look at a man, dirty, beaten, and bloody, under capital punishment, and then say, yeah, that's God. Nobody would have said this. And yet, this movement of Christianity, it should have been squashed right there. It should have been ended right there. This, this dirty old guy who dies as a, as a, a, a criminal, and now you're saying he's, he's risen from the dead, it, it should have ended right there. But in fact, what we know in history is this. It's the opposite. It exploded. It exploded. Why? Because there was an empty tomb. His body was missing. Hundreds of people say they encountered him after death, swearing on their lives that they saw him and willing to die rather than deny that Jesus was risen. And years and years after that, many, many people have done the same. And that's part of, I think, why they believe. Okay? Now, what difference does that make? I don't know where you are this afternoon. You may or may not really believe in the testimony of Jesus or the disciples. But I hope you see this, at least this, that if it is true, if this is true, that Jesus really did rise from the dead, then I think believing in it... Uh, and believing in Jesus as our Lord and Savior could probably be the most important, most urgent, most crucial thing you could ever do in your life today. But if it's not true, if Jesus did not die and then rise again, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, then what he says is this. Your faith is futile, and you're still dead in your sin. And in verse 19, Paul says, we're to be people who are the most pitiful. This is what he says. If it's true, you should believe it. If it's not true, your faith is futile, and we should be pitied. That's what Paul says in our passage in this chapter. And here's what I want to tell you. Of all belief systems, Christianity is the only one that insists 
that its truth must be founded on the historical existence of a person named Jesus, and that further, he historically said and did things claimed of him. And this is a little different, I think, from how many of us think about religion. Because when we think about religion today, we tend to think about what it does for us now, right? That religion tells us how to live. Uh, It tells us uh, ways to be happy. Uh, It gives us tools to overcome problems and issues in our lives. Um, Religion helps people to be good people. You know, and basically we're saying that religion tends to give good advice. It's a system of ethics. It's a moral grid, a philosophical viewpoint. That's why my friend in college, when I talked to him about church one day, he said this to me. He said pretty much like this, paraphrasing, quote, if believing in Jesus is what gets you through the day, then good for you. Because we all have our lucky rabbit's foot. We all have our spiritual crutches to comfort us. And if Jesus is yours, then fine. Just don't push it on me. But the problem with that argument is that our faith isn't just in the things that Jesus or God does for us now. He's not our life coach. Our faith, Paul says, is in the things that Jesus did for us in history back then. And that's why Paul says in our passage that if he didn't do them, then the whole thing is useless. I mean, think about this. If you just want good advice, if you just want something to get you through the day, to deal with your problems and struggles and issues, if all you want maybe is a system of ethics or moral compass to guide you through life so that you could be a happier person, a better person, then pick your flavor and see what works for you. Because that's everything else. Every other faith system, even faith in science or education or political power, it works because it provides some good advice to its followers. And they tell you the same thing. If you live a certain way, observe a number of important rules, act in accordance with certain precepts, life will be good to you. And if not good to you now, definitely later, maybe in another realm, you'll get a reward, Islam says. You'll be reincarnated into a better person, Hinduism says. You'll experience a kind of peace of non-existence, Buddhism says. Just pick your one and deal with life. There's ethics. There's morality. There's good advice in the Bible too, okay? No doubt. But I want you to know this. The faith of a Christian believer is not in the ethical teaching of the Bible. It's not in the moral rules of the Bible. The faith of a Christian is not even in the system of philosophy or the good advice that it gives, uh, that it gives you so that you can navigate life and further civilization. The Christian faith is not in just the things that you should do, the ways that you should live, and then you'll get there one day. Rather, The Christian faith places its faith in what someone else did. How someone else lived. It puts its faith in someone else in history, in space and time. And that's why Jesus says, that's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I'll show you the way. He didn't say, I'll teach you the way to get truth and the way to get life. He says, I'm the way. Me, not you, me. 
So if Jesus did not live as he lived, and if he didn't die as he died, and if he didn't rise as he said he would, as Paul said he did, then Paul would be right that we Christians today are wasting our time. You are wasting your time here on Easter Sunday, and we're wasting our time with faith. That's what he says. Uh, Even if your life is going well because of it, we're spending our lives chasing a fairy tale. And Paul says, therefore, we're to be pitied. Verse 19 of chapter 15. So it's important. It makes a difference. And this is why Paul says in our passage, verses 5 to 7, as smart as he was, he knew his philosophy, he knew his Bible, he knew his rhetoric, he didn't try to convince his reader that the resurrection really happened with smart words, wise sayings, eloquent words. He relied on none other, none other than People who saw him. He said, well, that person saw him. These people saw him. These people saw him. We saw him. He drew his assurance from the people who saw with their own eyes that this is what happened in space and time, in history, and this is what his faith was based on. Okay? Now, let me be clear. I'm not trying to convince you of the truth of Christianity, okay, or of the resurrection. In one sermon. I'm not going to do that. Ultimately, it's going to be between you and God. You can still have doubts. Because it's still a crazy story. But I want you to think about this. When I think about the resurrection on Easter morning, I think about these angels who came and they rolled away this stone, right? And Jesus was in there and then he walks out in blazing glory, joyous and resurrected. And he says, ta-da, I'm back, right? And, and, And that's what I think. Uh, happened. But notice this. In Matthew 28, when you read about the resurrection and and what happened at the tomb, it does say that some angels moved the stone, rolled back the stone. But what it doesn't say is that Jesus walked out the tomb. He was already gone. Do you notice that? The angels moved the stone. Mary Magdalene get there, But they moved the stone, but he wasn't there anyway. He wasn't there. And the angel tells the the, the women that that he's not here. What does that mean? It means Jesus didn't have to wait someone to open the door to let him out. I mean, he is the son of God, after all. He didn't need angelic help to get out of the tomb. Then here's the question. Then why did the angels roll back the stone if Jesus wasn't even there anyway? You ever play hide-and-seek or you watch your kids play hide-and-seek and, you know, one of your friends are hiding in the closet and somebody's looking for them and you're trying to protect your friend and so you kind of block the closet and you say, hey, he's not here. He's not here, right? Now, if you were looking for that person, would you believe that person? I don't know. But if he said, he's not here, open the door. Check. Come and see. Verify for yourself. The stone needed to be rolled away, not to let Jesus out, but to let us in, to check it out, to look carefully, to investigate. Ours is a faith founded on an event that took place in space and time and history, and it began by opening the tomb so that people could look into empty space 
and see that he was not there. Not to convince you, okay? Not to convince you, but to say it's okay to have doubt. Doubt doesn't mean unbelief. The word doubt comes from the word dubitare. It means double-minded. It means you fluctuate between certainty and uncertainty, truth and untruth, belief and maybe unbelief. But it's not unbelief to doubt. It's an opportunity to learn, to understand, to be open to verifying, investigating, to overcome doubt maybe, to strengthen your faith, or maybe leave you in wonder. Open the tomb, check it out. So ask your questions if you doubt. Raise your doubt and find the truth. But what difference does it make for you who believe? If you and I believe in the resurrection today, this is the difference. If Jesus went through the horrible injustice of a crucifixion and he turned it into something for our good, and then come out on top in the resurrection, it means that he can take what looks like a big mess in your life and turn them into opportunities of growth. If Jesus had to endure what looks really hard and sad and depressing death and then turn it around, it means that he can take your failures and weaknesses and he can use them for instruments of grace. If Jesus went through the hardest thing, crucifixion, and then he really rose from the dead, it means that he could take the hardest things in your life and use it to refine you with loving hands. We experience this world from life to death, and we think death is the end. But if Jesus went from death to life, resurrection life, then that means he now has the power to reverse the order. That what looks like the end is now the beginning. And that we too go from death to life. Let me end with this quote. Paul Tripp says this. He says, quote, Be careful how you make sense of your life. What looks like a disaster may in fact be grace. What looks like the end may be the beginning. What looks hopeless Maybe God's instrument to give you real and lasting hope. Your father is committed to taking what seems so bad and turning it into something that is very, very good. If Jesus rose from the dead. So I hope and pray that this Easter morning or afternoon that you and I wouldn't just believe Jesus died for you, but that he also he was raised for you to give you hope. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for um, the truth and the reality that uh, faith is not simply just believe and don't think about it. Uh, that it is difficult at times. It can be a struggle for some, and it deserves uh, effort, and it deserves thought and intentionality. We see, Lord, that even in the times of the Bible that people struggled, those who even claim to follow Jesus struggled with some of the things that they were always told, but had a hard time really believing in their hearts. 
in God, we believe not just in some abstract truth. We don't believe uh, in some abstract philosophy or teaching or, you know, whatever the message uh, it is that might help us today. But we believe in a person who did and said at a point in time in order that we might benefit and grow and live in a way, Lord, that reflects that truth. We pray that you'd open our hearts and minds, not just to believe, but to learn and to understand and to trust. To trust that we know what we ought to know and to trust that what we don't know is far beyond, but Lord, ought to be something wonderful and keep us in awe of you, who is our God. And so, Lord, we trust that as we are united to him by faith, in his death, but also in his resurrection, that we too have been reunited to new life. And we pray that, Lord, our lives would reflect that little by little every day as we struggle against not only what's inside but on the outside. In Christ's name we pray.